Good morning, church. Happy to be here with you. We were here last time about a year and a half ago. Is that right, Patty? Something like that. And that was fun, too. And now we get to be here together with you again. Uh, we're, uh, we've been partners together since the early 80s, maybe 82, 83, probably 82, since uh, we all started together. And we were just as young then as we are now, right? We just stay the same, full of vigor and youth. <laughs> but uh, the years have gone by. We've been working away in Peru. What a privilege, what a wonder that's been. So you all and other churches who support us have sent us off. And uh, we've been in Peru working in a, a language area called Quechua. Quechua is a language family that stretches from southern Colombia all the way through Ecuador, through Peru, through Bolivia, into northern Argentina. And uh, it's like the Romance language family where you have lots of different languages, French and Portuguese and Spanish are all Romance languages. This is the Quechua language family. And so there's lots of different uh, Quechua languages and Quechua varieties all scattered in there. So we started living up in the mountains in 1984 uh, in a Quechua village and living <coughs> in a house made of dirt, rammed earth construction with a dirt floor, no electricity, no running water, just a outhouse in the back. And it's like fancy camping out. Actually, life was more relaxing that way uh, without all the uh, distractions that we have here with our conveniences. But uh, our first assignment was to learn the language. So people there, although Spanish is kind of the language of government and education and mass media in Peru, uh, people up in the mountains, most of them, had their own language that was there before the Spanish ever got there. It's a language, the part of the, of the Inca Empire, they, uh, that language family. And they still speak their language. It has nothing to do with Spanish as no relation at all to Spanish, There's a whole different family, just like Chinese and English are not the same at all. So the first assignment was to learn the language and figure it out. And the people there had never seen their language in print before we got there. So figuring out what letter do you use for these sounds that we don't normally have, like languages have sometimes different sounds that we're not used to making. Or how do you write that? And then teaching people, helping people to write, their, to read their own language. Well, also writing later on too. And then eventually to translate the scriptures. We finish the New Testament for two Quechua areas, two editions in, nine, in 2003. Uh -huh, published the New Testament. And starting from then, uh, we started working on the whole Bible with Old Testament and New Testament together for, we started out, well, it's ended up with six different Quechua varieties. So we have six different Bibles. They are not published yet. They are en route. They're in process. They've left our hands. They're out in the editor's hands. Three of them have left the editor's hands, and they ought to be shortly being sent off to the printers so that uh, someday we can come back with an actual Bible in our hands. So that's what we've been doing for the past many, many years. And we've been partners with you. You've been partners with us down there. And, uh, uh, you know, when you're down in another country and you're kind of by yourself working, you're not by yourself because you're with all these other people you're making friends and family with down there. 
in another language, but you know you have people praying for you in the States and rooting for you and supporting you so that you can even be there because where are you going to get your money to buy your groceries and all the other things you need to do? So supporting with us for all that, and you have been part of that. So thanks, partners. We've been working together, whether you know it or not. Some of you maybe are newer here, and some of you know, oh, yeah, the beans, we've known them forever. And, uh, but we've been partners together, working and proving to translate the scriptures into these different varieties and languages of Quechua who've never heard God's word in their own language before. Or now they, they have the New Testament, but they've never heard the Psalms, the Proverbs, Isaiah, Genesis, Exodus, any of the Old Testament. And... Uh, in their own language. Do you have a question? Yeah. Pardon me? Oh, yeah. The question is, do, am I still able to speak the language? That's the language I work in every day in translation with these guys. So let me greet you in catch so you can hear what it sounds like. perucho. <laughs> And I can go on and give the message this morning in Quechua, but that's what it sounds like for them. Now, when I'm in Peru and I talk like that, they go, amen, you know, now I understand. Now it's going into my heart. I know what you're talking about. And sometimes just for fun, uh, they'll say, say something in English, you know. So I'll say, you know, good morning, everybody. We're here. We're happy to be here. And I'll say something in English like that. And they go, ugh, I don't understand a thing you said. <laughs> and so that's kind of fun. But yeah, that's what we work in Quechua every day and translating and getting it done. So we finished the translation now. And now we're at the stage of getting things printed. So this morning, what we want to do uh, is uh, take a look at Psalm 119, because Psalm 119 is almost like a crown jewel in the book of Psalms, putting and exalting in this prominent position the Word of God. It takes 176 verses to do it, the longest psalm in the Bible. And it goes through and talks about this. It's like it's got this jewel, you know, with all these facets. Like if you have a diamond, looking at this side, and let's look at this side, and this facet, and that facet. And it's examining all these different facets and aspects of God's word. And the purpose, <coughs> the purpose is to stimulate us in our love and delight in God's word. So, you know, this verse, when I first became a Christian, became a Christian later on in life, one of the first verses I learned was, uh, um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. come. You know, the 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Well, you know, this new creation theme runs from the beginning of the Bible clear through to the very last verses at the end, how God is at work in bringing out a people of his own and to bring in the new creation. He talks about the new heavens and the new earth, and we're going towards that. And this verse about uh, the old is gone, the new has come. If anyone is Christ, he's a new creation. That new creation of the new heavens and earth is starting right now in our hearts. We get to be part of it right now. So I'm looking at 
these little individual new creations sitting out here in their chairs with us this morning. God is working on that new creation, bringing it into reality right now in our lives. So he's given us his word. He's given us his word to be able to help solidify and bring to fruition that new creation in our lives. And Psalm 119 is for one, uh, one of its purposes is to help us to love and enjoy and be thrilled with God, what he says to us in his word. So that's the goal this morning. I think of when the English, for many years, the Bible didn't exist in English. People spoke English, but if they wanted to know what the Bible said, they had to, you know, all there was was Latin. You can go to the mass or something and hear Latin. And I don't even know how much they heard the Bible even there. But then uh, these early translators, uh, um, John Wycliffe, and then later uh, translating from the Latin, and then William Tyndale translating from the Greek and the Hebrew, translated into English. And the excitement in the English-speaking world, that excitement like, hey, did you hear this guy? What's his name? William Tyndale. Yeah, Bill. Bill Tyndale. He translated the Bible into English. I want a copy of that. And all these people, thousands and thousands of people, bought copies so they can have the Bible in their own language. That excitement and looking forward to it, that's the kind of excitement among believers now in Peru, Quechua speakers, as they're looking forward to say, hey, we can get the Bible now too in our own language so that we can capture, recapture some of that excitement that those early believers, when they got their Bibles in English and they were able, and delighted in the word of God, that we can stimulate each other to delight in God's word too. So it's not just that we have all these Bibles sitting on our house. Oh yeah, I have this translation and that translation and that translation. We have this wealth of translations. Think about people in the world that still don't have a single word yet in the excitement of getting God's word for the first time in their own language. That... I'm getting distracted here. Just one more little thing, just about the privilege that we have of then, so we're working on translating all day, you know, and then taking it out and being able to present it to people. And I know anything I read or anything I say or anything I teach on in Quechua, just like you heard a few minutes ago, it's the first time they've heard these verses or these Bible passages in their own language ever, and just be able to pass on that excitement. Hey, this is a really cool verse. This is a really cool passage. And be able to see the people's faces light up and smiles and say, yes. They say, amen. When, when I give messages there, they all go, sometimes I'll read a verse and they all go, amen. I go, whoa, <laughs> that was a good verse. You know, that was a great one. So, all right, we need to move on into the message now. Psalm 119, I'm going to turn on my thing. Yeah, the riches of God's word. We're going to, we're going to, it's on, here we go. We're going to look at a few things, okay. We're going to look at, uh, first of all, the first eight verses. The first eight verses uh, starts by framing the psalm at the beginning. It's like an invitation, uh, like a big billboard up on the side of the road, talking about walking in the way of the, the word. Then next, we're going to, after just looking at those first eight verses, we're going to back up and look at the psalm as a whole and how it's built and then why Psalm 119 is built the way it is. 
then, then we're just going to pick out a few things that Psalm 119 says about God's word. We can't read all 176 verses this morning, too many. Well, I could read them all, then time would be up and I never would have to say anything about it. So we're just going to pick out this and that, a few things that it says about God's word. And then we'll look at Jesus and Psalm 119. That's our plan. Ready to jump in. So first, the beginning of the first eight verses, walking in the way of the word. Now, you can take the first eight verses and they divide neatly into four, into two chunks, verse one through four, and then verses five through eight. The first four uh, verses mention the way of blessing. What is the way of blessing? And it starts off the first word, blessed are. Who's blessed? What's this blessing amount to and who's it for? It says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. So it's sometimes we think, the Christian life, and we're so grateful to God for rescuing us. A, a technical term we use for that is redeeming us, uh, pulling us from the domain of darkness, as it says in Colossians, into the kingdom of light and all these things. And we think, thankfully, it's, it wasn't up to me. I didn't have to do it. Jesus did it all, and now I accept him, and he promises me that I can spend eternity with God in heaven, not because of God looking at my sins, but because of God looking at Jesus's righteousness and his salvation for us. And so we're kind of incorporated into Christ and all the benefits of Christ then get passed on to us so that we can enjoy God in eternity. And so sometimes we might be tempted to just relax in that, which is good, but that's not the whole truth. It's more than just resting in our status, but it's also, it's not, it's more than just a ticket to get to heaven, but it's also a journey. So walk in the way, you know, think of books these Puritans wrote, uh, John Bunyan wrote, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, uh, the, pil the pilgrim that as he's going on in life and he encounters this challenge and this difficulty, we're in a way. And so our blessedness comes through those who walk in the way, whoops. And um, so it's not just status, but we have these words I put in as, as red. We're walking, we're keeping, we're seeking, we're doing, and again, we're walking. There's action here. So um, yeah, so it's more it's a, it's a direction in life. And then we're ready for the longing of the heart. Now the next five. Four, I mean, the next four verses. How is this to happen? <coughs> okay, I agree. I see that billboard by the road and say the way of blessing this way. Uh, and that's really good. And, but how do I do it? What has to change? I've got my flesh. I've got my old habits. And sometimes I'm just feeling cold. I'm not feeling anything. And I know I have to get to work. And I have to do this and get the groceries and make the meals or all the things you have to do. How can I jump onto this journey? And it really has to do with our heart. So the next four verses talk about the longing of our heart. Verse five, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. 
starting this verse, actually the verse before, the whole rest of the psalm switches from blessed are those who, switches from that to a prayer. The rest of all the way up through one verse 176 to the very end now is a prayer to God. God, this is what I want. I want that in my life. My heart's desire, my longing is for you and to follow you and to walk in your way, in, in your word. Oh, that I might be steadfast, not just once or twice here and there, but I can be continual and steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I won't be seen as a fraud. Here it says, put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments says, I don't want to get to the end of my life, stand before your presence and be revealed as a fraud. It's just a shell. It's just on the outside looks good. Yeah, I went to church, yeah, Kirtland Community Fellowship. That's where I went um, for, you know, and uh, but on the inside, I was just, you know, it was just on the outside. It wasn't a heart thing. I don't want that to be that way. And how do I do that? By having my eyes fixed. It's another way to say, uh, to have the longing of your heart fixed on your commandments. Where's my attention? It's my intention, attention uh, focused on all the things that distract. And we see that now we're in the States. We're seeing all these distractions that we get with entertainment and inter internet and things to read and news to listen to and reading. Yeah, ugh. End up you're thinking, well, where was my time with God today? I was reading the news instead, or I was doing that, or watching it, you know, or whatever. We get so distracted. He says, the solution is keeping our attention fixed on God and not all the things that are swirling around us, especially nowadays. Then I will praise you with an upright heart, verse 7, when I learn your righteous rules. And this learning is learning in a twofold sense so we have learning what God says and learning to do what God says. So I think of the Quechua folks I've been working with, with or we've been working with for decades and uh, they don't even have the opportunity to learn or haven't had the opportunity to learn what God says in their own language and language of their heart, the language that they understand best. Uh, we have that opportunity. We've got our own Bibles right here. And uh, so, but it's spending time being soaking ourselves in the word, being washed by the water of the word to be changing and transforming our habits and ways of thinking and attitudes into something new and God making that new creation in us. So we need to learn what he says and then learn to do them, changing the way we act so that we say after, you know, I Notice that I reacted a little bit different now. I had more patience. Ten years ago, five years ago, I wouldn't have been patient. I would have been all tense. I would have been kind of cutting in front or somebody. If somebody cuts in front of me in line, oh, that was a big one for me. Somebody cuts in front in Peru, they cut in front of you in lines. And that, can, Patty can say, yep. <laughs> and uh, just learning to relax and trust. Or if you're in a hurry and you're in traffic, everybody's going slow or you're at the end of a line or whatever your thing you know you know your particular areas where you might tend to get tense or impatient and see victories or uh, um, being anxious about things or being fearful of things or being worried or being 
uh, wanting to jump in and take control of situations, or I don't know, different things where when we're in God's word, God starts changing us so that we can trust him more with things and turn things more over to him and see him work. And we go, hey, there's a victory. God is working in my life and changing me. And we get that through learning what God says in his, in his word. So he ends up saying, I will keep your statutes. There's my resolve. I'm determined. This is the direction I'm setting for myself in life. I'm going to keep it. Don't utterly forsake me. We'll start off with the flip side of that means if he isn't forsaking you, us, then he's helping us. He's with you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says right before he ascends back to the Father, and we experience his presence in our life. And then on the other hand, the only other choice is being forsaken by God, not experiencing his presence, <clears throat> not experiencing his help. And then the choice of, is ours. We have two ways in life. Where are we going to go? This psalmist says, I am resolved to keep your statutes, to learn your way, to walk in your word, and uh, then I will experience your blessing the blessing of, of living with you. Don't utterly forsake me. That's the only other choice. Now, those were the first eight verses. Those are just serving as introductions, kind of opening up the book, get a little, little look what the psalm is talking about. It's talking about the word, but it doesn't stop after eight verses. It keeps going. So we're going to back up and look at how Psalm 119 is built. In Psalm, oh, at the end of this little section, I'm giving you a quiz. So um, some of you will automatically start, your palms will start sweating, or I don't know. But just calm down. It'll be easy. If you pay attention, you'll know the answers. So here's the first one, Psalm 19. There are eight synonyms used for God's word. Eight ways you can say God's word. This way, this way, this way. Let's run through all eight of them. The first one is the law. In Hebrew, it's the Torah or in English we say Torah, 25 times that word is used in Psalm 119. It's more than just law like the laws of Leviticus or the laws in Exodus. It's really a general term referring to God's instruction in the scriptures. The next word, the next synonym is the word word. Dabar in Hebrew used 24 times in Psalm 119. The next word is his testimonies, his edot, used 23 times in, the, in Psalm 119. Another synonyms used his, his uh, rules, his mishpatim, used 23 times. A better, I like, rules is okay as a translation. The English tra uh, Standard Version uses the word rules to translate mishpatim. I like better the word judgments. It's really a word that says, God, as judge over the world, he says, this is right, this is wrong. This is the way I say, life works, and this is the way life doesn't work. This is the way I rule the world. I rule it in grace. I rule it in judgment. It's not, it's uh, um, his, well, here it's translated as rules. The fifth synonym used in Psalm 119 for God's word is commandments, is mitzvot. Uh, used not just for the Ten Commandments here, but as a synonym for all of God's Word. 
And next, his statutes, used 21 times. His precepts, used also 21 times. And then finally, his promise, sometimes translated word, used 19 times. So these eight synonyms for God's word are used throughout the psalm various times. Now, Psalm 119, besides these eight synonyms, is divided into 22 chunks of eight verses, call them stanzas, 22 stanzas. Now, what's interesting about the number 22 is that there are also 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, A, B, C. What do we have, 26 letters? In Hebrew, they have 22 letters. So there's one stanza for each letter of the alphabet. Now, in each stanza, there are eight lines, just like you have eight synonyms for God's word. And then each line in each stanza begins with the same letter of the alphabet. Now, you don't see that in your English Bibles. You can't translate it so every line in the first stanza starts with A, and then every line in the second stanza starts with B. That's too hard. And I imagine it was really hard to do in Hebrew too, but they did it the, the, in the scriptures here. Each line in the first stanza begins with the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, which is Aleph. Each line in the second stanza of eight verses begins with the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet, which is Beit. Each line in the third stanza begins with the third letter in the alphabet, which is Gimel. And I don't have to keep going. You get the idea. There are other psalms written like this, too, where each line in a stanza begins with the same letter in alphabetic order. And these are called acrostic. Okay, here's a technical word that will be on the quiz. These kinds of psalms are called acrostic psalms. There are other ones in the Bible. Psalm 25 is an acrostic psalm. Psalm 34, 37, other ones. Lamentations 4 is a huge, beautiful, big acrostic psalms in there. And Proverbs 31, or at the end where it talks about the godly woman, each line in there talks, starts with another letter in alphabetical order in Hebrew, the godly woman. So in Hebrew, Aleph looks like that, that kind of cross exy kind of letter there. So I put the Hebrew here. Um, well, I put it in the next slide. Each line will read from right to left. In English, we read from left to right, right? But not in Hebrew. And here we'll be able to see that each stanza begins with Aleph. There we go. Ashrei hamimi derech holkim betorat yaveh. Starts off there, that first word, Ashrei. See how they all starts with that cross little Aleph thing. Really cool. Each line starting with the same letter. And if we moved on to the second stanza of eight verses, they would all start with a, what for us would be a B, and so on through there, so that you can see how it works. Yeah, you don't get that in translation. So, ready for the quiz, right? All right. So, first one. How many synonyms are used for God's word in Psalm 119? Eight. Yeah, just call them out. How many stanzas in Psalm 119? 22 for the letters of the alphabet. How many lines in each stanza? Eight, right, for the eight synonyms. That doesn't mean that each synonym 
appears in each stanza, although in a lot of them, all eight are in there. Uh, how does each line begin in each stanza? With the same letter. Wow, that's really neat. And what is the name we use for a psalm where each line or group of lines begins with the same letter like that? Acrostic. Very good. You all get A's. Now, why? Why is psalm built that way? That took a lot of care. They couldn't do it on the computer and search words and things like that. They were writing on papyrus or animal skins or something like that. And, oh, no, I wrote the wrong word. Ross it out and cross out and do it again. It took a lot of work and care. It might have taken years to compose this psalm. Why go into all this care? What are you trying to communicate by making this psalm an acrostic psalm like that? So the first one could be that the psalm is designed to teach. It reflects the work of a classroom teacher. He wants to instruct the young in the ABCs of obeying God's word. A, eight verses. Okay, kids, we're going to learn B today. And the kids all memorize the B, the second stanzas. Living a life in accord with God's word. The psalm also affirms that obeying God's word will cover every facet of human existence. Everything from A to Z in your life, you can find something uh, that would apply, maybe not directly, but will help us to trust God and live in the light of God's word. We'll find that in God's word. And then the structure of the psalm reflects what a life will look like when it delights in God's word. It will be ordered. It will be reliable. It will be complete. Those kind of things are kind of hidden in the background there in the structure of the psalm. Say, yeah, oh, that's what a life is like living according to God's word. All right, so now <clears throat> we can't read all the verses, so I am just picked out a few things that Psalm 119 says about God's word for us to look at. And I could have picked other things, I just picked these. And I probably picked too many, but you go, ooh, here's a good one. I want to put this in the message. Wait, wait, I can't leave this one out. So I picked several things. But... I lumped them into two categories. First is our attitude towards God. And then we'll talk about some things that Psalm 119 says about benefits from God's word. Now, so the first, our attitudes. And the first is delight. This Psalm wants to stir us up. And this message I'm giving this morning is to stir us up to delight in God's word. We'll look at verse 47. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Or in uh, verse 111, it says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. The New Living says, Your laws are my treasure, they are my, my heart's delight. We can have all kinds of correct beliefs about God's word, and they're important. We have to have them. We believe that God's word is inspired. It comes from, ultimately, from God, even though he used humans to write it. Ultimately, it's from God. We believe that's infallible. We believe it's inerrant. We believe all these things about God's word. But even if we have all these correct beliefs about God's word, if we don't thrill to his words, we don't uh, love and delight in what he says, 
if it's not the longing of our heart to hear the voice of our Lord, then our view of the Bible is still too low. It takes more than just correct belief, intellectual assent, but it also takes the heart. Where's our heart? Where, are, where do our affections lie? What is our yearning in life to follow the Lord and listen to his voice? We have it. We have the scriptures in English we can turn to. We have a privilege that many other people in the world don't have. Let's delight in God's word. So delight. The second one is that it's better than gold. What my message is flying through the air. Better than gold. Verse 127. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold above fine gold. Now, I brought some gold with me for a little object lesson. I have several gold coins. I bought them on Amazon last week. You can get your own bag of gold coins. Fill up a whole bowl of them. So, this gold represents, in, in this psalm, you know, it's not just talking about gold, but it represents everything that the world would entice us with that would offer us in material things. Like, oh, I want this or I want that. I don't know, fill in the blank. That sometimes we get distracted by and think that, especially in this consumer kind of culture that we have here, where we're bombarded by advertisements that say, you'll just find a little bit more fulfillment in life and satisfaction in life if you have this or if you have that. And we kind of think, oh, that would be kind of exciting or fun or rewarding or whatever. And the problem is not with the things, but the problem is how it can distract us from what's really important. And the, here it says, better than any gold or any material things this world has to offer, far better is what God has in his word for us. Hearing our master, our king's voice, speaking to us, to our heart. You're my son. You're my daughter. You are precious to me. I love you. And, uh, and having a relationship with him. So, sweeter than honey. Oh, the verse. Verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. So, I brought some honey. <clears throat> Here, uh, Great Lakes, premium gold and honey. This represents not just honey, but everything that might lure us away, everything that could be uh, a delight to our senses, um, relationships, experiences, entertainment, anything that we might consider sweet in our lives. Oh, to have, to be able to do this or do that. Not that those things are bad. They are, can be blessings or often are blessings from God, and we need to re, re, realize that. But sometimes they can become distracting, so that's what we chase after instead of seeking after God. So better than honey, better than the sweetest thing the world has to offer is God and his voice to us. So those are our attitudes to delight in God's word, to consider it better than gold, consider it better than honey. 
now we're moving on to the next category, the kind of benefits. And I have to mention here um, that when we talk about God's word, there's a real danger because sometimes it can work both ways depending on how our heart is. It can work to harden us. It can work to make us self-righteous. It can work to make us proud. I know these verses. I've memorized this. I can whatever. Or it can make to it can work to break us and make us humble, make us more uh, willing to follow, more loving, more patient. And God's word can work that way too. It can make us more Pharisaical and legalistic, or it can make us more uh, willing to be uh, used by God in loving others. The difference is is where our heart is again. Who's our king? And if we follow our King Jesus, then we become more like him. And he uses his word through our spirit to break that self-righteousness that we all have a bent towards or that pride and to make us more humble in following him. So we have a danger here I want to warn about, um, but we also have the way of blessing that is inviting to us at the same time. So the first thing is a benefit is it gives us understanding about how to live how to live this kind of life. And we have in verse 105, a famous verse, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So I brought a lamp and a light. So how they have it these days. This represents how God's word for us can show us like we're living in a dark, dark place. Where do you go? In Quechua land where we lived in the mountains of Peru, no electricity, whole villages, whole settlements where people live not a single electric light if you if you have a light you have a candle or a little uh, kerosene lamp with a little wick that's all smoky and giving a, a dim light it can get so dark when there's no moon you can't see the hand in front of your face and if you're outside walking on these paths sometimes you don't know there's a six inches from your right foot there's a drop off that goes 50 feet down and over here there are rocks and holes that you can fall into and you have to follow this little narrow path and it is pitch dark out. That is where you appreciate having a light and you or you can see where to go where it's dark. Oh that's where I'm going there's a light on way over there and you can see that's how God's word it shows us where the dangers are and it shows us where we're going in life so we can make the right decisions and not step this way and that's it you know I've got a broken back now but we can stay on the path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path to make the right decisions, not just for the distant future, but for every day, day-to-day decisions. Do we make them in the light of God's word, what he says? What he says is true about the way the world works. What he says is true about the way he created us, the way we're designed, or by just what other people say, or some people say, oh, I think God is like this, or I, by my opinion, I consider God to be like that, or by what God says is true in his word. So the next benefit, it keeps us from sinning. I'm going to turn this down a little bit. So bright. I wish they had had things like this back when we lived in the village. It was really cool. (laughs) Instead of trying to, we had pumped up these lamps, you know, and they go, these Coleman lamps and be all hot and melt your coat if you lean over it. It also keeps us from sinning. How can, uh, verse 9 and 11, 
How can a young man keep his way pure? And here the psalmist, I used to think, oh, this is a verse for young men. Oh, sorry, ladies, you know. But it's really this, the psalmist is a young man. And he's saying, in other words, how can I, as a young man, how can I keep my way impure, as my way pure? By guarding it according to your word. To your word. And here he switches to the I to let us know. I'm talking about, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we keep from sinning? Sometimes that is a puzzle. I don't know if you've confronted that, but you think, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be done with that habit or thought pattern or attitude or way of speaking or jumping in or trying to dominate or whatever, you know, uh, your areas in life are. And uh, here he says, well, the key is to Get the word into your life. Meditate on it. Bring it into your heart. And that's the way to guard and to keep God's word. Helps keep us from sinning. Another benefit is it gives us peace. The verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. The word peace here is the word shalom. It's a Hebrew word again. Of course, it was written in Hebrew. This shalom type of peace doesn't, it's more than just, I don't have uh, wars anymore, you know, world peace. It's talking about a holistic, every aspect type of peace that's physical, that's emotional, that's social, that's uh, in every way living a good life as God intended it to be. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that uh, there aren't uh, hardships. Doesn't mean that there's no more afflictions or opposition or anything. But in the midst of them, we can experience this kind of peace. You know, these verses that we memorize, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, as we bring God's word into our, not just our minds, but in our hearts, God's spirit uses that word to bring peace into situations where we never experienced it before. Whether they're big challenges like some medical diagnosis, all of a sudden you hear, I've got cancer, or I've got you know, kidney problems, or I've got, or if it's a, a family crisis, or if it's a relational thing, or if it's a small thing like, you know, I'm late and I have to wait for the end of this line and somebody just cut in or whatever. We can experience peace in situations that before we never would have experienced peace in. Another benefit from God's word. Also gives us comfort. Verse 50. Verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction. That your promise gives me life. This life. New Living says your promise revives me. That's how they translated the life part. It comforts me in all my troubles. Again, not that we don't have troubles. While in this earth we have troubles. But we also have comfort as well as peace. Uh, I think of the beginning of 2 Corinthians, if you want to read more about 
comfort. Paul talks about being oppressed on every side and all these things that happen, but, uh, but we experience the comfort of God through all of it. Number five, another benefit, it gives freedom. Verse 45 says, and I shall walk in a wide place. Got it? Okay, thank you. Wide place, for I have sought your precepts. Now, this version says wide place, which is a literal translation of the Hebrew. The New Living says, uh, translates it more idiomatically, I will walk in freedom. The wide place is freedom. Freedom from fear. Freedom from always, I don't know, fill in the blank again. Where do we feel chained to sometimes? Always having to be right. Freedom from anxiety. Freedom from um, complaining. Um, uh, free to joyfully live the life that God has for us as being a new creation. Free to do that. We better move on. And lastly, uh, it's not lastly. There's lots of things in here. The, the last one I picked for this message this morning, I put in, it gives hope. Verse 43, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. New living, instead of talking about mouths and things taking out of mouths, it's, uh, it's translating more idiomatically for English speakers. Do not snatch your word of truth from me. Keep it. I want to keep hold of it. Keep it integral to my life. So that's where my orientation as life is. What you say is true. For your regulations are my only hope. I don't really ultimately have any hope in anything else that the world offers. Not even in my family. Not even in my, uh, my possessions or any security I think I might have. Ultimately, the only hope from the day I was born to the day I die, naked I came into this world and naked shall I leave, how's it go in the book of Job, is really only in you. And that's hope for today, hope for uh, tomorrow, hope for hard times, hope for easy times, hope for in death, hope for after death, hope for judgment, and hope for spending eternity with God as part of his new creation. So it gives hope, and that is the bridge to take us into the last section of this message, talking about Jesus in Psalm 119, because verse in John 1, who's this, who does it tell us is the word of God, the living word of God? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Ultimately, the Old Testament, Psalm 119, when it's talking about God and his word, it's pointing us forward. The Messiah is coming. The living word of God will come in flesh and dwell among us. Pointing to Jesus in the New Testament, he says, it's holding up Jesus. Here's Jesus. And now we're looking back and we're looking inside and we're looking forward to Jesus as uh, in, a, in a relationship with him. So ultimately, the word of God we see in the face of Jesus and in life with him. Revelation 22, clear to the end of the, ver end of the 
Bible, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. You know, we said Psalm 19 was started with Aleph and it ended with the last letter, which is Tav in the Hebrew alphabet. In the Greek alphabet, New Testament's written in Greek, it's the Alpha and the Omega. I am the A and the Z. You know Psalm 19, 119 with the A, B, C, D? It's saying here, well, that's ultimately pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the A through the Z, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So we find everything we need in him. So we don't worship the Bible. The Bible's a book. <coughs> the Bible is a record of what God tells us, his promises, his comfort, his word for us. We worship the Lord of the Bible, Christ, the living word. So this morning, we've looked at, started off looking at the first eight verses, our invitation to the psalm. Uh, and that was divided into four, into two chunks of four verses each. We had talking about the way of blessing. The way of blessing is by walking, doing, seeking. I don't remember all the words in there now. Uh, 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 and the way of the word, the way of the Lord. And then the longing of a heart, it turns into a prayer. Oh God, that's what I want to be. That guy there who's blessed, that's the kind of person I want to be. Until we have that longing and that delight we're not there yet. How Psalm 119 is built, an acrostic psalm. Why is it built that way? A didactic, A to Z, everything in life, ordered, reliable. We talked about a few things that Psalm 119 says about God's word, our attitude, <coughs> delight, better than gold, better than or sweeter than honey. We talked about benefits, how it's a light, gives us understanding in a dark world that's confused keeps us from sin, gives us peace, gives us comfort, gives us freedom. And lastly, for this morning, it gives us hope, which ultimately our hope is in Jesus, the living word, and we follow him as our king. So we've had this privilege. What a, I was talking earlier, what a cool job to translate the Bible all day long. You're working in God's word and seeing what it says, learning these things about how it's all beautifully put together and trying to translate that into another language. Let's see, how do you say that in this language? And how do you get, and you get different insights working in another language? It's been a, so I brought uh, a copy of the Bible in Quechua, one of the versions of Quechua that we did. So you can see it. Here it is. Uh, this, now there's another one like this. The editor in Peru printed out a copy too. Besides that one, this is the only copy in the whole world of this version. This is the Quechua in Margos Yarowilka Lauricocha. So when I spoke to you in Quechua, it seems like a long time ago now, half hour, 45 minutes ago, whenever I started this message, it was in this variety of Quechua. So hope we, this is on typing paper and it's printed out, you know, the formatting is just like how it'll be when it comes out. The, uh, we're trusting God that next time we come, we will have an actual like Bible Bible instead of like this. This isn't very practical to people to print out all this and it's expensive to print it out this way. We'll have real Bibles like this. Um, but uh, this is it. There's no other copy. Uh, there's no for uh, Quechua speakers. You know, they're waiting, they're waiting. 
I get these uh, messages on through, uh, some of them have Facebook, you know, and cell phones, and a few of the larger villages have electricity. They can sell them and uh, they get some coverage and charge up their cell phones. And sometimes they're messaging me, Mark, when's the Bible going to come out? And I go, I still don't know yet. It's in the process. So, yeah. So we've been working in these two states here in Wanako and Ankash for the last many, many years. Uh, and that uh, we've been translating for all, about a million speakers. And these, th this has five areas. We ended up splitting that green area where the black line is on the right side of the black line. They're getting their own edition because there are just too many changes, vocabulary and ling linguistic changes. It's too far away. And there's that big black river separates. It's a huge couple thousand, 3,000 foot gorge that separates it. So, Quechua speakers, so you can greet them, meet them. Hello, everybody. We're Quechua speakers, they're saying to you as they look out with their wool hats and their colorful wool uh, clothing and everything. There's some women. Those women probably don't know any Spanish at all, zero, or maybe a word like, I don't know, buenos dias or something like that. But uh, their whole lives would be Quechua. Um, these women here, notice how this is now a different area of Quechua-speaking world. They would speak a little bit different. They would need their own edition, their own translation, and how their hats are different and so on. And here's another area. These guys, uh, they speak even more different. They speak really different. Uh, different words, different vocabulary and everything. How they have all these little sequins in their hats and bigger and they like to wear them kind of tilted over to one side. That's the cool way to wear your hat over there. And these here, now this is in another area, how they put ribbons in their hats. So these, they have lots of flowers in theirs. Beautiful how they do that. So these are the guys I've been working with for many, many years. So that I, we said, pin, we painted up signs and said, okay, we work for Wailas, we work for South Conchucos, we work for North Conchucos. And there's this big tall foreigner guy standing in the back that's been working with them all these years too. So we've been working over the years, not just in translation, but introducing the Quechua church leaders to reading their own language. And uh, some of them can read more or less, and some have a really difficult time. Even in, you know, if they've gone to school, it's been Spanish. Reading in Spanish is very difficult. Catch was very difficult. But people are very good listeners. They're better listeners than we are. It's a very oral, oral and oral society where they listen. So uh, here we're distributing to all these different church leaders little players that have the New Testament recorded on it. Still no Old Testament yet. It's not out yet. But uh, then they'll take those recorders. They're solar powered and take them back to their churches for in churches or in home Bible study groups or in families where they can play and listen to God's word recorded. It's another way we've also done videos, we've done uh, uh, radio uh, programs and things too for people to listen who will always find it difficult to read. And there I am meeting with a bunch of pastors. I'm teaching, uh, helping them to use the scriptures and uh, things and these are different pastors or lay leaders in the churches says, pray for Quechua-speaking pastors and church leaders as they decide how best to care for their congregations. Because there's a lot of pressure sometimes for Spanish. I mean, the only Bible they have is in Spanish. And so if you're going to talk about God, you know, that's all you've got. 
And some people do not handle Spanish very well at all. So they'll get the fanciest Spanish speaker. And other people are kind of like, well, you know, when they hear it in their own language, they love it. Oh, finally, our own language, you know, instead of just kind of getting it. And maybe some people get it and other people not. And most other people kind of in between somewhere. Or they'll bring up a special speaker from the city who's really fancy Spanish and everybody goes, uh. And so in their own language. But we're working with these pastors because they've only, that's all they've had is Spanish up till now. And to help them make the bridge into, hey, use your, you can pray in your own language. You can read God's word. You can teach. You can live in your own language of your heart. We recent, okay, and there I am with pastors. This is another one. I'm up really high. We're going through the book of Revelation there. So then they can end up teaching it in their churches as well. So these pub now to get these published, okay, right now, you guys are partners with us, right? You've been partnering with us for many years. I'm looking at a big clock there. I'm really going over time. Thanks for your patience. I just have a couple minutes left, okay? And you're doing really good. Thanks for hanging on with me. Okay, but I'm saying we're partners, so you gotta hang on. Over all these years, so the the, the big thing for us now, okay, so what are we doing now? What's our big concern now is getting these things published so they can get in hands of people and ship them to Peru. To publish them, it costs tons of money. Bibles are expensive, especially when you're printing thousands and thousands of them. Now, the publisher says we will pay 50% of it. You know, we'll raise money. I don't know how they raise their money. But the other 50% has to come from somewhere else. So we've been advertising and we're trusting God and we're praying and we're relaxing and resting, giving all this to God to say, there's another 50% here. We put in years and years of work and uh, now to get this thing published, we're trusting you for that. So we have to come up with another 50%. Now, the other 50, that's wrong, right? So uh, other publishers need to see, all right, for the first three Bibles, 110,500. Well, God's already brought that in in just a couple months through a lot of people, not just a couple rich people. Lots of people have been contributing here and there. That has been so encouraging as the word has gotten out and saying, I'll contribute, I'll contribute. That's not like I'm saying, okay, you guys all contribute. I'm just talking about how encouraging that is to see how God's been working, okay? Because we're partners together so we can join together in trusting God for this. But God has been using a lot of ordinary people to do it. And uh, we still have other, less than half now to go. That 110, maybe what do we have? Like 90 or 85, 65. Patty's the lady with the numbers. She knows all these. So three have finished, they're on their way to be funding, to be published, and these amounts seem overwhelming. We're trusting God. Patty says, Mark, that's an old picture. What do you put an old picture in there? I think, hey, it's history. It's interesting. There she is with her braids and dressed up with her Quechua hat, and there's our son. He's, uh, uh, yeah, it's cold up there. Patty's that's Manuela. She's getting notes about how to raise, how Quechua people raise babies. And she's asking about it. And I took a picture. So that's the end of that. Um, so where are we? You can turn that up. We don't have to watch that. So where are we? 
we're at where the purpose of the message this morning was to stir in us a delight for God and his word. So hopefully we've gotten some taste of that. Looking at Psalm 119, these facets of a jewel to help us to delight and long for and thrill in what God has to say to us, speaking to our heart. Maybe before it wasn't like that. Before we became Christians, it's just this kind of a boring book. But now we have a relationship with the author himself. And he speaks his word. He speaks to our hearts. And we say, amen. So whether it's for us with our English Bibles, whether it's for people in other parts of the world in another language, which maybe isn't even published yet, we're working together. God sends us throughout the world through our prayers, through some of us going, through some of us sending, but we're following the Lord wherever he takes us to get God's word to people everywhere. And that's what we're doing. And that's the message. May God bless each of you as you continue week after week, day after day, year after year, uh, living life for the Lord in the States. We've been living life for the Lord in Peru and whatever it is that our, occupies our days, we look to him and following him, walking in the way of his word. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now, and for more info, including sermon outlines, visit our website at www.kurtlandchristian.org.